We are not heroes, nor are we villains, neither kings nor magicians, but we can tell you their stories. We are the Lore Keepers, and we welcome you to Halloween. Welcome to Halume. You've tuned into Lore Keepers, a podcast devoted to chronicling the serialized world building of a sprawling tapestry of interwoven lore. I'm Carter. I'm Frank. This season, our focus is still on gods, faith, and the relationship between mortals, immortals, and immortals. So sit back, close your eyes, and let our tingling audio gateway sweep you into the realms of Halume. <laughs> I don't know if that came through. Only half of it did. <laughs> It'll come through on the recording. like that trombone hero. It's actually a sax. Thank you very much. Okay. Yeah. That was a saxophone? That's that a was saxophone you trying to do Baker a saxophone? Street. You don't know the song Baker Street? Oh, I didn't. Oh, dude, it, I heard. Let me see if I can get it. Okay, I'll, I'll see if I can go again while I waste our time. Okay. There you go. No. <laughs> It cut out again, dude. I think I think I'll take your word for it. And I'll look up Baker Street later. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a great yeah. riff. Okay. So, great riff. Sexy sex, phones aside. Oh God. Okay. This week we're talking about the afterlife. This week. Yeah, we're talking about the afterlife, and um, this one hopefully it won't be much shorter, but it is going to be shorter than we intended, thanks to my fucking internet. Um, you can you can blame it on my Wi-Fi extender. I had to completely reset it, so thanks Wi-Fi extender. But yeah, this week we're going to talk about the afterlife. Um, we were initially going to do it last week, but then last week's recording of the amble ballooned to the point where I was like, oh no, this is just what we're talking about, and it ended up actually being a really good episode. Uh, so if you, I don't know, I think you've probably listened to it. Anyways, um, we're definitely still talking about the divinities, demigods, the relationship between, yeah, like you said, mortals and immortals. Um, we did, I think we are for now closing the book on the mutes. Um, I'm very open to going back to them. I'm not like trying to say we can't talk about them or anything. And I mean, they're definitely going to come up in this conversation, but as far as the miniseries is concerned, I don't know if there's any, I think we might just weave more of their stuff back in as we see fit, because we're, I think we're kind of just back to talking about divinity. But yeah, uh, the, the thing that I wanted to do with this episode, the thing that I've been curious is about is that I think, I think the afterlife might need a rework or a rethinking or kind of like engaging with how does it work? What are sort of the tenets or the idea behind what happens when you die? We know, first of all, that stuff is kind of localized. In a weird way, like geographically, the people of Orun pass away and there it is believed that they're taken care of by the Aluvic gods, right? Like the um, the uh, divine beasts. Well, no, that's Zelda, but you know what I mean? Yes. And, uh, the wild gods, the wild gods. Yeah. They're, I mean, they are divine beasts, they but that's not what they're beasts, called. But trademarked. I don't want Nintendo yeah. to sue us. Um, very litigious. 
That's true. They are. Um, dude, if they can find us, good fucking <laughs> luck, Lord. Uh, you know, suck our Nintendo. collective s- wingadings, Nintendo. Yeah, I was. Sp- I mean, we could hide in the shadow of their uh, collective wingading. Like we are tiny. <laughs> okay, that's weird. But like, yeah, okay. So afterlife on a rune is localized. Um, you know, the afterlife for at least the people of Everest has to do with the um, like Fenisil Ocean. Which, you know, we've talked about lunar iron slash sea silver, right? This, uh, this sort of, it's like a moon rock or something that specifically allows you to, en- like, kind of engage with spiritual matter, for lack of a better word. I don't really want to change any of that. I love our ghost ships and our ship ghosts. Like, I, I love all of that stuff. I think that that's great. I think where it starts to get a little bit more messy is you know like when people die are they being judged for their sins um i know that like up until now i've basically been like anybody goes to the ethereum unless they actively have a deal going with the devils um i think i'm still fine with that but i just feel like we could really open this wider um, i do also, i do think that the they can liter- be intercepted like harvested I think so, too. Um, I, I, I've, I have always found that nar- narrative kind of like appealing because it's so like unacceptable, right? The idea of these people who have genuinely like, you know, had everything and it's been stolen away from them. Um, because they, you know, they like spent their entire lives devoted to, you know, benevolence and, you know, then they're being enslaved by monsters. I don't think there's ghosts on the moon. I don't know what's happening with uh, Hadariel, Gamaliel, and Mayan, but there was a period where we talked about like cities on the moon where like the judge or like people were waiting to be judged and their like spirits were there or something. I I don't know what I was smoking. I mean, hey, it's fun to do wild ideas, but I think right now it's just kind of weird and it doesn't really do anything narratively or interact cosmically with the rest of Halloween in, in ways that can be interesting. Maybe we put the cities back on the moon, but I need a really good reason for that to happen versus just like throwing some random shit out there that just makes everything feel disjointed. So I, I like, let's bring the afterlife back into the fold. Let's I, so this is my first idea. I'm going to throw it at you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm thinking a little sprinkle a little bit of Norse mythology in here, which is okay. when <clears throat> you know when you die in battle, Odin takes you to if you died honorably, of course, uh, he takes you to a Valhalla where you drink and fight and get fucked up, right? In like his longhouse. You do everything you did in life, but now you can do it forever. Yeah, in his longhouse up until the final battle of Ragnarok where you fight for him as his Einher Jarl. Something like this. Mm-hmm. I dig this kind of idea, except it's like the the dead go up to right, where they're destined to be in the Ethereum. And some uh-huh. and I like the idea of some choose to serve, even in death. So it's like um I've done my time, like I've lived my life and uh, I can like live in peace or I can live in whatever like niceness the Ethereum has to offer or I can choose to keep doing. And that means like helping the gods in whatever way that is and possibly even like um, being like leveling up, quote unquote, into like angelic status. 
And I think mm. th- this they these people like aren't angels vis-a-vis the angels we normally see. The angels spit out by the um Right. They're made of different stuff. Yeah, but they're they get angelic jobs, as it were. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think I'm I'm down with that kind of engagement with the gods. I mean uh, when you first said that, I was like, oh, I mean, okay, we're going pretty specific here. Um, but no, I appreciate, like, I think what you're saying is like kind of on a systemic, like the ecosystem of the Ethereum, what happens to people? How are they interacting with stuff? I appreciate that. I think you definitely see this stuff, uh, as a little like recap or the thing that I'm talking about of them being made of different stuff. I think in the past, we've kind of talked about like spiritual matter or whatever you want to call it. Um, sort of the baryonic particle of the spiritual world, if you will. Whatever that stuff is, it's gods and spirits, and the Ethereum itself is made out of fundamentally different stuff than like, well, they're made out of fundamentally different stuff than each other, but uh, like a, a mortal soul is is yet again like different from those. They're compatible with each other, like they can definitely interact, and it's still like, you know, I think the origin of that stuff still comes from the the fabric of Helame and like maybe is literally even ethereal, right? Because otherwise, you know, why is that where they go? It's but it, yeah, but it's fundamentally in a different way where like I yeah, I don't think people are becoming angels. I think maybe they could be turned into an angel somehow. Um but like again, it would require almost like this spiritual alchemy. Um that being said, yeah, I like your idea that there's sort of hierarchy and structure within the Ethereum. Um, do you think, have you seen The Good Place? I've seen some of it. And I've also, okay. I know uh, about the ending and because I've talked to people who hated it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. About like what happens in heaven? Uh, about the very end, the very end of the show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I agree, it's okay. kind of weird. Well, I, I like it. Um... The whole show is very goofy, but I appreciate it. Yeah, no, and anyways, like, I think I'm down with your ideas, but I think my bigger questions for now are more like, how do souls get divvied up? How do you determine whether somebody goes to, like, is it all this rescue mission? Are people, like, choosing sides? And does what you do have anything to do with where you end up? It's your temperament, Beyond, I made a deal with the devil. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I I more just meant, like, are you a good person, bad person? Or do they just not think about the afterlife in that way at all? I don't think they think about that in the afterlife at all. I think that um, uh, there could be some, like, reward, maybe, that good people Mm -hmm. get. But I don't know if there's... uh, But I don't think, like... Bad people go to the mutes. I think that that's not okay. Because <laughs> that's just giving mm-hmm. more fuel to the greatest evil creatures that could exist. So, like, no. Yeah, no, I think, I think that that, I agree with that. I think that there is a fundamental difference between the way that Halumians think about the afterlife, or at least, you know, the, the mortals of the Materium do, and the way that we think about the afterlife, or tend to think about it, right? Which is that. And this isn't always true, but it's definitely not Judeo-Christianity that thinks about it this way. There's plenty of, um, plenty of religion is focused around morality, right? And how do you be a moral person? I think that there's still definitely that in Halume, but it, 
it's almost like more systemic and structural than that because these are gods that quite literally are like controlling things like gravity you know um not actual gravity although maybe they are but like you know fundamental forces of reality and how it's stitched together so so here's something for you the greek version of the afterlife right the house of hades Everyone goes to Hades, it doesn't matter if you're good or bad, except certain heroes can, be, can go to the Fields of Elysium, which is like a kind mm-hmm. of a nice place. Um, Hades it's sucks. green. Hades, it, it just like, that, the realm of Hades sucks. So just everybody's punished? Uh, it's not that they're punished, it just sucks. It's just like not a fun place to be. It's not enjoyable. Can you go other places? Uh, no. You're just like spirits. Is it just that you're around. trapped or there's nowhere else to go? Like, okay, well, that's. Yeah, it, sounds yeah. The, this is a big thing that's very strange in Greek mythology where it's just like, unless you're a hero, if you're a hero, you can go to the nice place. If you're not a hero, you go to wherever everyone else goes. And life is really fucking good. Living is far better than the afterlife. So you should like not die. Yeah, stay alive. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, okay, so first of all, I agree. I think that um, it's not like that. It's it, people who are going to the absentium or working for the absentium are basically like, I will say, I think it goes the other way too then. I think people who do deals with the devil, it is understood that they're not necessarily inherently bad people. Sometimes it's out of desperation or a need for a different kind of salvation in the moment. Um, it's you know, people who have sort of accepted their fate or maybe don't accept their fate uh, and deny it, but are, you know, potentially writing an extremely big check, the biggest check that they can write. What happens when you die? Like the literal stuff that happens, where does your spirit go? Obviously, we have like the ghosts of the uh, of Everest. Do we want to keep that? Like they're kind of drawn towards the ocean as this nexus. I would like to. But I don't, does that happen to every spirit? So yeah, I think this is the interesting thing is like, this maybe is where we put in the moon sisters where like the ghosts go to the moons and then that and through there get to the ethereal. So they like are drawn up into the, the astral sea where they're then like funneled to the moons where they're fucking like shot it through with a, like spiritual cannons into the ethereal. Like it's a warp or something? Yeah. Like it's a portal into the theory. I mean, okay, so we definitely have an association between like the interplanetary void, i.e. the astral sea and the ninth flow, right? Because there is this relationship between magic being sort of like a hitchhiker on light. I, he- I hesitate to use the word photon because I don't even know if there are photons in, uh, uh, in Hallow Bay, but the photon equivalent, right? Yeah. Like whatever the thing is that light is where it's traveling, you know, uh, magic is sort of hitching onto that as or the nine flow is. And then it gets prismed uh, by, you know, or really filtered by one of the nine spires. It sort of like uh, blocks the other eight and then splits out the, the ninth that it's actually tuned to. I'm down with keeping the Moon Sisters into this. I think that they have a very important role in the afterlife. I don't know if that's true for everybody, though. Like, we already have seen that Orun is more localized. I'm kind of wondering, like, obviously, based on your temperament, you're going to end up with a different regent, probably. 
does that mean is that kind of a general where like the maybe the rejects or the people who didn't devote themselves to one specific person end up with the temperament uh like one of the regions like what if what if you actually really like a completely different unrelated regent and you devote your life to them you devote your life to muse but you are driven by like the fuel of uh wisdom or truth you know you're not going to go to Prognan, I don't think. Yeah, I think Veritas. regions can pick. They can be like, well, this one would normally go to Prognan, but like that one's mine. And they, you know, angels do they have do deals with each other? Yeah, I was imagining that the angels are delegating. There's like judges or something. Yeah. Where like a name gets scrawled in a book because you become a cleric of that person or you're like devoted to that god and it gets recognized on some level in the spiritual realms. So yeah, I do think it's like there is some sorting that happens. Yeah, they. It, I think no the one thing they sorting though. Yeah, I I think the one thing that I'm a little bit like trying to work my head around is the idea of how physical everything is right now. Of the idea that it's a like the ghost is this physical entity, or even if it's not literally physical, that it has a physical imprint, and that that seems to be more important than whatever at least the way I've been thinking about it, than where its spirit is and what its spirit's doing. Is the spirit literally in the physical materium? We know that this, the whole point of the materium is that it is a fusion of the physical and the spiritual, right? It's, you know, the woven together of the primordium and the ethereum. But I don't know. Does that, that maintain when a person dies? I think on some level maybe because that's all they've known. I think it's in right? locus. Is physicality so locust? Do you think so? Yeah, I think that it basically just so it's still in quote unquote like um, Sadar, but it's just like right plane shifted to a different contour room, so you can't see it, but it's there. And if you had magic eyes, you could see it. If you had true sight, you could see it. Is it just that the ghosts are the 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 bodies that are kind of more present? Or, like, not more present, but, like, you know, the unfinished business or whatever, like, holding them there, they kind of, not all of them bleeds away into Locust because they're trying to, like, maintain their grip on reality. Yes, I think there's something weird that goes on with ghosts, that, that, and this is where, like, ectoplasm comes in. That's, like, a material thing. Mm -hmm. And that's what gives it form. Yeah, it might be, like... Maybe it's not their spiritual matter, but it's like the wake of their spiritual matter churning up this disruption between, you know, locusts and the material. Yeah, it's like ionizing the air or some bullshit science. Yeah. I mean, it's spiritual form interacting with matter and like mortals are one of the only creatures that can actually do this. Right. Like the whole thing about key is about it sort of like uh, uh synthesizing this new thing so maybe ectoplasm is this like prized thing by some monks or whatever because it's like raw storable key like man I, I think it's kind of fucked up though i don't think it's perfect key it's it's like a weird un. it's like unstable mm. it's, and you could like maybe stabilize it with another compound but it's unstable because i think like the person's disposition is clearly unbalanced yeah. right like they're not in a good place if they're made a ghost and I don't think Hella... Uh, I mean, not, not all the time necessarily, because I think there are spirits who visit people on purpose for reasons or whatever that, like, might be... There might be a good reason, but... I think that might be more angelic work than the spirit itself. But 
Mm, like you have almost like a guardian angel or an advocate who's speaking on your behalf. Yeah, that or like I have a message for you from your from your great mother. I think that or like literally an angel brings you brings the spirit there, and as such, it's like the spirit is made manifest by the angel's power rather than the spirit's own power. Mm, I see what you're saying. Gotcha. Yeah. So like it can even be that the spirit is there, but like it's it's basically being upheld by an angelic power behind them. That's sort of like, yeah, yeah. Making it possible. Um, but I think yeah. that Palumic ghosts probably are, are not just like silhouettes of blue that look like regular. Like, I think they're they're weird. They're weird and they're like um, kind of blurred and like. I would say it's like a combination of looking at a silhouette that is blurry as well as like heat haze. Have you seen heat haze? Mm hmm. Uh, I mean, yeah, like off of a sidewalk. Yeah. When it's like really hot out. Exactly. And it's like, like that. The air except, looks watery. Exactly that, except it's like weirdly metaphysical. But like that's what the visual yeah. is. And I think that, that yeah, if they like if they say anything, it's like weird and fucked up. It's like strangely high and low at the same time. And it's just like it's very eerie. It's very. Un, uh, like, it's fucking with reality. Yeah. It's like reality's not equipped to like they're engaging with it in ways that are like non-newtonian if you will they're like this is not normal yeah whatever's going on is unstable and it's just like sheer force of will or destiny or something like this it's keeping them here and it shouldn't and as you're saying reality's fighting against this mm-hmm. yeah okay so as far as the physicality thing is concerned i mean do you have any thoughts about that like in terms of I don't know, like, I'm just trying to imagine, like, what happens if a person doesn't make it to the ocean? I know that they're drawn to it, right? Or whatever the localized thing. Well, the ocean is specifically the um, ocean of Fenisultana because of the moon there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, or the crashed, yeah, the crashed body of what's left of the moon. Yeah. Draws people. And so I think there it's getting. If they get fucking like trapped, someone could use them as a power source or whatever the fuck, or eat them if they're a demon or a devil. Maybe we take a, a one step back, which for sure I like. I love the idea that there's like you know the the this not satanic, but like there's like the hellish shores or whatever. There's like whole reefs of of like di- like dire you know demons and monsters and stuff that just hang out around there because they know that they can just try and like catch you know the occasional ghost they're fishing by yeah they're basically fishing taking a step back though so originally there was a like there was a sense for why we had fenisol be such a draw for them but here's the thing there was never a point where the Ethereum was meant to be an afterlife for them, right? We've always kind of talked about it with this, like... There wasn't meant to be an ...city afterlife. set up for... Right, right, for refugees and stuff, because having an afterlife in the first place was never part of the plan. It was something that the gods kind of got saddled with unintentionally uh, when some of those who were, the, you know, the golden ones got cut off, like, from the rest of reality because they were inhabiting or present in the Ethereum during the time of the golden, uh, uh, you know, during the Ash Curse. And then in the years afterwards, um, you know, you have Somanoxus and you have other weird shit going on uh, down on the world below. 
But those spirits aren't like making it up to, you know, to the Ethereum, or if they do, it's extremely rarely. So it's not like there was ever this like association, I don't think, between the moons and ferrying the dead. I, I do think that Fenislil, there could be a different reason why people are sort of drawn to her um, or like, you know, kind of the, you know, the crashed moon. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, we could easily mythologize and just say it's, oh, you know, she was like such a beauty and I, all, everybody in the golden hour like loved her like a mother or something like that. But I feel like that's like, I don't know, I feel like we can do better. I think that like what's the connection? I think we need to make a connection between the moons and afterlife if we want that to if we want to maintain that. We do. Yeah. Or there needs to be another reason. I mean, I think here's the thing. We need a psychopoompus. Having That's kind of what I'm thinking is like we need a psychopoompus of some sort. Like having Fenislil and like the ghost get drawn to that is really I think that's really flavorful and a lot of fun. We can do a lot of cool stuff with that. I think then, you know, the question of like, well, what happens if like a turtle, like a baby turtle not going to the like the shore, you get lost on the way. You know, I mean, obviously we can have like, you know, those who I think we've even talked about this, like some sort of angelic peoples or whatever, who are kind of like shepherds, right, who are looking for lost souls that have have lost their way. Or maybe don't hear the call or see the sign or whatever, but nonetheless, who are the psychopumpus and why? And where did they come from? When did they come from? Right? Was this an Avum Secunda thing, an Avum Prima thing? Or was it a beginning of Avum Tertius thing? I think maybe maybe we stick with the moons. We say the moons are the psychopumpus. And the moon sisters, each has a role to play. And I think each maybe guides different souls. And this was something I initially played with, right? Like was kind of like three threes, like they each sort of watched over a third of the temperaments and dispositions. And I'm fine with keeping that, but I feel like I don't think it's the judges. I think it's something different. So, so yeah, I agree. I think it's more like maybe they have different roles to play within a larger, like singular form of ferrying. Like one person is sort of, you know, runs the shepherds. And another one of the sisters is like the one who sort of is actually the ferryman or, you know, that kind of thing. This is my take. You ready? Okay, go. Yeah, go ahead. So I think uh, with each of the sisters loves a different kind of like um, fucking Jungian archetype. Yeah, we're being, we're being Peterson into this. And um, okay, so I think like maybe the maiden is attracted to beauty in all its forms. So like master craftsmen or people that like artisans or like just like people that pursue okay. beauty, something like this, which has sure. some right, has some nine stuff, but it's not particularly about their time. It again, mm-hmm. some relation, but not always. And then we have like the mother who maybe takes care of like the children who died or like other people who's like care is like a big part and again a little bit of temperament but a little bit extra and the crone might just accept those who are fucking acorn uh those who are not accepted by the others and then i think those that are maybe drawn to finislil are um heroes or martyrs sure 
Okay. I mean, I think I'm, I'm not against that. I think I'd maybe slice it up a little bit differently, maybe like, but I, I, I like the fundamental idea, um, of like kind of who, who, who are you drawn to or who are they drawn to sort of like this, but why did all of that stuff is it's like, damn it. No one else wanted this. So, yeah, I know. Let's let's establish this first. Okay. okay, so Moon crashes into the world. Yep. Ash Curse, sort of, the, the inciting incident of the Ash Curse is over. Ash Curse begins. Um, moon crashes into the world. Everybody dies. Or everybody's sort of turned into aspects by own. What? Seminoxus. When When does Moon become thing that people are pursuing? We do know that the basin of the ocean, I believe of specifically Fenislil becomes, I think one of the core locations, if not the heart of the sanguine empire. Yeah. They, they gathered around the first city, right? They gather around the first city. The moon basically crashed into the first city. So I don't think that there's much remaining of the, the first city. I mean, even back then, like I, I can't imagine, you know, there's, there's much left. I, I think basically they gather in the first city, aberrations spill forth. They are slowly pushed back to the rim. Okay. And that's where the mostly the. And so there's just kind of. Does the moon. Like, Fenisil must have been a pretty small moon, right? Like, not an asteroid, but like not much bigger. Because in truth, like. I mean, magic aside, maybe they, you know, the, the nameless one shredded her up or something so that she was a lot smaller or whatever but even so to have like a cataclysmic crater that doesn't it was because there's less fully just crack the world into like we couldn't have our moon coming into the earth that would split it well a, a big part of it is that um the reason why we think like asteroid impacts of like this uh big right ex- incredibly powerful explosions stuff like this is because of the speed they're going as well as their mass, right? Force is equal to the mass times acceleration. That's true. So it wasn't going that and fast. And so it has a lot less space to go. Yeah. We don't have to get into the physics of it. Yeah. All I'm saying is like, I'm trying to just paint the picture here of, okay, so you have this And enormous, it did fuck like, up I the think world. there's... Let's not forget, like, there's a mountain... Oh, yeah, it did. On the mountain fucking chasm on the other side. Yeah, it's true. There's like, it's literally like an ocean depth floor. Yeah now uh where where like if, i don't know if it was flat plains or mountains or whatever but it's definitely flat uh, like you know a crater now so i mean is this like a continent-sized ring or are there little like stations put up um around the edges of this i guess crater i mean i don't know my whatever it's not important the the, the I, I, i'm getting distracted here by myself um but i'm just trying to imagine like that first the vestiges as people are picking up the remnants, you've got Soma Noxus happening, which um, if you need a refresher, uh, it's basically like spirits that aren't, they don't have anywhere to go because the spiritual bridge is severed. And so they just kind of become these like torrential clouds of spiritual energy with like, you know, thousands of faces that, you know, or just like sort of disembodied entities whirling within the same, you know, miasma. And that just sort of like these sort of just pass over the world, causing chaos wherever they go, however they would. 
maybe maybe it's like discovered early on that sea silver can prevent Somanoxus's worst from happening. But like again, why would the moon have this interaction with spiritual matter? I think is it because it's the body of Fenislil? Yeah, it's the body of Fenislil. That's why the moon magic works on spirits. And it's like why did body of a god? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So body of the god. I'm down with that. Why is that the case? But not like. Like Gaia obviously isn't that, right? We know that to be true because Gaia is not really, doesn't really have a body beyond everybody's Gaia's body, yeah. right? Everyone sort of sums up to be Gaia. What, uh, why did Own make him like that though? Like why did Own put the moons over Sadar? Why four? I'm. Um. Why Fenis? I mean, or or did did they, or was it as a result of some other action? Were the moons not there, and then they showed up one day, like either getting captured in a gravitational well, or somebody literally forming them? You know, did one of the other gods or a group of the other gods form one of the one of the moon sisters or more? Maybe they were formed by the people of the Golden Hour. And then they were endowed with godhood or goddesshood by own or by the regents. When you when you engage with um, you have a lot of like okay. And first of all, I am aware of the time. Yeah. We've only got a few minutes left here. When you engage with like Greco-Roman myth and stuff, mm-hmm. obviously there's like the epicycles that um. Oh, wow, literally the same word. I'm thinking of the thing, though, that, like, is explaining, um, uh, what's it called, motion, retrograde motion, uh, that, like, they came up with. Uh, I think that was... Pythagoras, I think, came up with it. Epicycles is a way of explaining why, like, a planet doesn't just orbit in a perfect circle. But I know that they, like, looked at those and referred to them as gods. I mean, epicycles, doesn't that mean... Uh... What? Doesn't epicycle mean after circle? Yeah. You have the cycle and then the epicycle. Yeah. You have the circle and the after circle. So it's like kind of like literally. The circles and like, circles. Uh-huh. Right. And so like the, you know, to explain the retrograde motion, he added a new mechanic, which is like kind of silly, but whatever. It worked. For- <laughs> I, I mean, theoretically. The calculations. Yeah. The but so then the question is like that that I'm I'm trying to get at here and why why I was bringing this up is like you have Jupiter, you have Saturn, you have Uranus, you have like you know Pluto, you have named after Roman gods, right? Which obviously were for first Greek gods that got inherited or adopted or stolen. How did people think about those? Did they think they were literally high up in the sky somewhere? Yeah, that's did they think in- Mars as in like Hades was literally like that red dot? Yeah, they're in the celestial sphere. Which is the realm of the heavens. What is the celestial sphere? That's like the stuff outside of the world, which is where the gods are. So is there like a like a literally like a thin globe that is with like pinpricks through it yep. or something? They're imagining kind of that was around the land. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I guess I'm just trying to like how do you connect 
a more esoteric, spiritual, like kind of post-Christian, as in like post the rise of Christianity, the way people think about spirituality is, well, maybe it's not this literal thing because Jesus said the kingdom was coming and then it never actually came physically. So maybe it's this more theoretical kind of your spirit is this unobservable thing that you can't see. And we start thinking about the spiritual realm as like this thing that's parallel to reality. How do you marry that to like the very physical body of a planetoid? Uh, I mean, do the thing that you do with bodies, dualism. It's both. Yeah. I, is it literally a rock? It's literally is it, uh, that they they made a rock that is also literally a spiritual god. Or, or whatever that, that you know the, the rock existed, but it's a rock, but it's also a god. Are the other gods like that? I mean, they're all some the ones that are embodied are weird. Like Yadiel, presumably is embodied. He's a big ball of plasma. That's true. Or are these? I mean, we could also do like it's sort of like a three dimensional, not whole, but a three dimensional object in a fourth dimensional space or something. Almost like it's like. I'm almost like imagining it's the jewel in their scepter. And so it's maybe not literally the body of Fenisil, although I don't know her life, her life is actually wound up in that. But like, what if these more act as like a spiritual nexus for their energies or something? Or maybe that there's, they're in the center of it and they're like, I don't know, some weird crystalline material that is God body. I mean, I was like, yeah, are they doing the sleeping celestial thing, right? Where, like, the celestials are just, like, inside of fucking planets. I mean, we could do that. I'm not actually not against that. And that's what explains what moon silver is, or sea silver. Oh, it's like, it's not just the moon rocks on the surface, but it's, like, deep beneath. Oh, well, hang on a second now. I know we're like literally like basically at time. We're going to have to do a real short um, outro. So maybe take this as a lore bit or something. But I mean, there is kind of a world soul thing that we've got going on, right? Like with Halume and with Sadar. The Erebor crystal, Sadar. You got the Erebor crystal. Maybe that's just a thing in, in Halume is that planetoid bodies. I mean, you could even explain this with some kind of, I don't know, alter cosmic principles you know like you know if our cosmos of our universe was different i could you could totally write the laws of physics in a way where crystalline structure was what was the densest thing at the like the deepest parts of a planetoid maybe that's what happens and that crystalline structure because of the relationship between spirit and crystal sort of like you were saying kind of is their body um and does that mean they're humanoid not necessarily but it does i think lend credence to this idea that they are like literally gods like we could do the same thing if there are any gas giants in the holumian system like it could just be at the core core part of them there is like a crystalline you know orb that presents as their godhood yeah and i i do think that uh Fenisil is dead because yes, they've been destroyed I, agree. I fully agree but i think there's an echo yeah. of them in the in the ethereum something that people believe and as such exists. Mm-hmm. Well, and not a, necessarily even a recollection, um, which is like that kind of like, yeah, that echo that you're talking about. Although that definitely could and probably does exist. 
Like, I love how American Gods does that, where there's like 40 different Jesuses with like, you know, different ethnicities and stuff, because it's just whatever people think of as Jesus. Yeah. Um, I think. I think you could you could do the same thing, though, with like recollections do exist. They might not exist for long, but there also might literally be a kind of undead presence of well, not undead, but like, you know, after death after death life version of Fenislil and maybe okay okay I know we're like literally at time but this might actually be the place to end okay. it of like at least figuring out where we begin for part two when we eventually do that it might be that Fenislil died but because the connection to the Ethereum was severed there was nowhere for her spirit to go the spiritual nature, her nature. And so she almost becomes this like patron saint of being trapped in between and like doesn't, I mean, I don't know if she is active right away, but like is a protector of those who are, you know, caught up in so monoxys or whatever, or like she does what she can to protect people from these clouds. These, these like winds of so monoxys that come through. And so maybe people congregate around this center space partially because it's the first city, but also because when their dead die, there is more of a likelihood that they can survive. Um, and it doesn't mean that if Fenisil is having active interactions with the living world, because I think she'd probably have a thing to say or two about the elves. But I think it she is able to maybe like recycle their spiritual energy in a way where other people born around there are able to have some of the kind of the latent spiritual energy instead of having to rely on these fucked up clouds of some anoxious energy. Something like that. Sounds good. And then civilization builds up from there because that's where everybody is, because that's where survival is. I dig it. Okay. Yeah. I go, I go, I'll, I'll go with that. Um, yeah, so let's, we'll, we'll call it for today. We'll definitely come back to this for sure, because I think we're on a good track, but there's more to rebuild and kind of undo here. More stories to, more stories to tell. Um, so thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, don't hesitate to share this with others. Feel free to rate slash review us on the podcast platform of your choice. There's stuff in the podcast description. Yep. Yep. Thanks as always to Josh Silker and Sam Wade. You can find Sam at by Sam Wade on Twitter and Instagram. Also, you might not be able to find us anymore. I might have gotten us permanently suspended. Did you did you fucking I, say something as Elon? Uh, no, but I added Elon. I parodied uh, Satine Phoenix um, and did a post about finally coming back after stealing everybody's work. <laughs> and then uh, and I said in the description that it was a parody of, of the account and stuff, but it said it was permanently suspended. So I guess we'll see, you know, I feel like Comedy's banned I was actually Twitter. following the rules, but comedy is banned from Twitter. So, you know, oh yeah. I also said that I was like, also, I, I, I can't wait to introduce you all to the new campaign I'm running as, you know, Satine Phoenix, uh, at, uh, like with, with our very own at Elon Musk. Um, he's got a human fighter y'all are just going to love. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, it, 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 here's the thing. It got hundreds of likes. Nice. So if that's the way that we go out or I have to completely create a new account, like, so be it. I don't fucking care. Whatever. Anyways, thanks all. Um, no book of truth this time. Uh, don't forget there's always. Oh, unless you had one. Nope. 
No, oh, oh, and I don't either. Okay, so thanks, everyone. There's always more tales to tell. It's always more Elons to Musk. Ugh, more moons to crash into the world. Goodbye. Bye. Yeah, I've just started playing um, the new God of War, which is like, oh, such oh, a yeah, it's good. Game. So good. Absolutely so good. Good. Yeah, I I don't know. I heard that you can there's I don't know, maybe some spoiler stuff or whatever. So actually, I shouldn't say anything because I haven't even finished the first game. But I did enjoy playing it for the couple of weeks that I did. Um, I just kind of fell off it because I was trying to play like 12 other games at the same time or something. That was back yeah. then. I feel like I'd probably come back around and do a better job of it nowadays. The combat was just really enjoyable. It's so fucking good. Yeah. Got it. We might we could talk about what we what we could do as a topic. And that might might bits. Well, juice I was over. thinking it'd be it'd be good to do the afterlife stuff, honestly, because we didn't do yeah. that last week. Which uh, kind of kind of on that topic, I didn't uh, I have done some more work on the timeline stuff. I think I've I've mapped out about uh, half of Avum Tertius now, um, and I'm hoping to do the other half today. And then once I have the other half done, like it will be the foundation on which I can actually build the campaign proper. So that is definitely coming up. You can expect some uh, some calls or texts or whatever to set up times to ask you questions for clarification about your character and other stuff. Um, I just, man, there's so, there's so much to do. <laughs> uh, I think I, I, I can't really afford to have a, Oh, I can't afford to have like a, uh, an obsession like Zelda right now. I spent all yesterday playing it. It was fun and I don't regret it, but also it's like, so is world building. World building is fun. It is work, but like kind of needs to happen if we're going to, you know, run this campaign. And at this point, I'm the one who uh, not entirely like I'm still waiting on some stuff from uh, from a couple of people, but I definitely have enough to begin with. So, yeah, I mean, it's exciting. Um, have you have you put in where the gray mantles happen? Was that a even Tertius thing? Gray mantles? Gray mantle. Do I remember yeah. what that is? Was that a, it's some sort of a... elven artifact? We we decided that like, um, it had maybe it had something to do with um, it's in one of the old ancient uh, microscopes we did. Let me see if I can find it. Yes, yes. Uh, the age. Uh, this is in the Averil section. Uh, okay. Past the return of magic enrages the Riven. The time of culling begins. Uh, the Riven are thought to be destroyed and the Golden Age begins. And then the Age of Artisan ends and the Age of Warriors begins. Uh, w- the beginning of the Age of Warriors is uh, Erlan Deftist weaves the first Grey Mantle, setting the course of the founding of the company. And then the Grey Company is founded. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I think all of that is happening right at the end of Avum Tertius then, because that's uh, like the Age of War like what we called the age of war is, uh, is really like Avum Cordis. So. Okay. Wait, were you there for that? Did you help me build the timeline from the beginning? Did we do a microscope for that? Uh, we did an, we did a microscope of elven history, which coincided well, cause with. It, yeah. Cause I mean, dude, when you think about like the, um, 
you know, one of the rules of, of microscope is that it's like, you know, if, if one event is dark, then the next one is light. And yeah. so I think that the golden age was meant to be a light thing. And then the war was a dark thing. And yep. so I think it literally traces all the way back to that. Wow. That's crazy, dude. I mean, we've been doing this podcast since I think 2017, maybe it's 2018. It might be 2018. I think it was like January of 2018. Um, which means we've been doing it for almost five years. It's just weird to think about something from that long ago, that there's still a vestige of it that remain. There's actually a lot of things like the vestiges of things that that remain. Um, they haven't necessarily been all overwritten or completely, you know, done away with. Yeah, the um, we actually have uh, went for when the Empress dies is on this thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that happens at the beginning of the Age of Conquerors, because it's like basically the elves fighting and conquering each other. Uh-huh. Okay. Interesting. Right. So that would be like Eldian Imperio stuff. Yep. Which, by the way, uh, has the uh, Emperor of House Grimfang founding a new empire. Interesting. Okay. Okay. I could totally see that happening. I mean, the, uh, the period of uh, like post... Oh, gosh, this is still an early period of Avum Tertius post the forming of uh, the first like champions and stuff. Right. You have you have like the period where the elves pick up the pieces and try and rebuild an empire. But already like their own corruption is what, you know, kind of. Weakens it from, you know, from the start, because there's a lot of infighting and stuff. You know, right, like all of the courthouses are like trying to vie for control. And so even as they're building the thing, it's a compromise. Like I kind of was playing with the idea of like, I don't know, the way that, you know, for instance, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution were founded on things that are inherently like because the fact that slavery is just included as part of it, it's kind of rotten to the bone. And I found it like really fascinating to kind of look at, you know, political structures that are attempting to, um, can can sort of is there is that like original sin right that can't be washed clean until the whole thing gets destroyed and rebuilt as something else and i don't know if that's true for every case but at least in the case of the uh the eldian imperial like that was the the consequence was because they were obsessed with fighting each other for you know superiority or to like climb to the top of the heap they literally engendered that into the, 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 the structure of the Eldian Imperio and not in like implicit ways in explicit ways. Like literally each house had different controlling lands and they had different like, you know, uh, votes and stuff like that. And so as a result, from the beginning, you have this competitive nature towards who is going to wrest control of the empire from what family. And that kind of structure is only ever going to give rise to rebellion and resistance as it continues to like push more people down the slope, which is why you end up with like them, you know, basically researching how to create demigods and stuff based on, you know, what they learned about champions and whatnot. And then um, so during that time, I could totally see, you know, what you just described happening with, uh, you know, with a different emperor or whatever, because like there would definitely be like an age of pretenders or whatever, you know, where there's a bunch of different people who all claim that they have rightful, you know, the votes or whatever it is to say, Hey, I actually run this or whatever. And then they like kind of secede, but not entirely, you know, it's like an economic secession, but not a political one or something like that. It's like, like like an EU, um, right? Like where it's like, we're not going to trade with you anymore or something. 
you know, it reminds me more of like the Roman Empire. There's a, there's a year called the Year of Five Emperors. Like, oh yeah, I think you told me about that. Yeah, just like absolute madness history for a while, where there was just constant civil mm-hmm. war. But it wasn't like you know, it was split in half. It was like there's two emperors over there, and two emperors over there, and they're fighting each other and all at the same mm-hmm. time and. And there's one like stronger person who might have maintained hold of more of the empire, but then there's like other people who are, you know, yeah, fighting over scraps in their lands or whatever. Yeah, definitely. It's like Crusader Kings. Mm -hmm. And that leads to like very interesting stuff with like co-emperors for a while. Co-emperors. Yeah. And it's obviously like you get the east, I get the west, and then we're we're both emperors of the same empire. But oh like, man, I vaguely remember that. Yeah, from uh, world history back in like high school. Wow, I yeah. haven't thought about that in forever. Yeah. Well, that's cool. It definitely could include that somewhere. I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, especially with like. Uh, so we talked about this, but I don't think we verbalized it. That like the nature of Avum Secunda, right? And that like nobody really knows how long things have taken. But uh, I mean, and yeah, here's kind of a lore bit for the listener here. This is something I don't think we ever put down in record because I think it might have happened. I might have had the thought after we recorded the last episode. Um, oh, did you just post something? Yeah, that's the stuff. I was oh, yeah, cool. Thank you. Lots of capitalized names here. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'll definitely have to review that. Um, but yeah, I think that the historicizing of Avum Secunda is like really interesting to me because we have talked before about um, like the reason why imagined things have more power to do stuff spiritually than physically, right? And that, uh, you know, when you're thinking about magic and that it's about imagining something that isn't there, right? And using kind of the force of your, of your psyche impressing that on on reality and then combining that with the nine flow to sort of catalyze that change why is it so often like adjusting like the gods in the ethereum but not like the land in front of you and the answer is is because the land in front of you wasn't severed from from the primordium or whatever it was the bridge between the ethereum and uh, the mortal world that was severed and so as a result like spiritual things are far more tenuous or, you know, difficult to understand than, than, uh, physical things. I think that maybe the same is true. Like when you look back at history or whatever within Avum Secunda, and this is, so I, I was kind of forming this thought to Carter like last week or whenever this was, maybe a couple of weeks ago, we were playing with the idea of like, what if it's not just that, like, because I've thrown around a few no- different numbers over over time, right? Like I was like, oh, it's like 20,000 years. Oh, it actually might be 40,000 years. And recently I looked at the timeline and realized it might actually be closer to 60,000 years that transpired during Avum Secunda. And we're like, the thing is, is that ultimately when you get to numbers that are above like 10,000 years, like 20,000 years, like, does it matter? Does it really matter in terms of like keeping track of the age? No, not really from a world building like outside of the uh, uh, the the picture looking in structural standpoint. It really doesn't for kind of trying to tell stories and relay history of the world. And so instead, um, we're like, what if we kind of make that literal almost where 
nobody really knows how long Avum Secunda was because time itself got kind of overwritten over and over through propaganda and stuff. There's so little written about that time, and it's so long ago that, like, sort of its relative presence within reality, the evidence for it shifts around. So it's not that the years themselves are changing, but because uh, what people believe about that time and what happened during that time really depends on who's telling the story. We know that faith makes it real, and so it's like we were, like, playing with the idea of, like, artifacts getting modified or whatever after the fact, based on people's beliefs. So anyways, I don't know. I just think that that's interesting because like all of the stuff that we have with like Avum Tertius in this, in this picture is like, I think it might undergo, not to the same degree, but similar like depends on interpretation. I'm not saying that Avum Tertius history is subjective at all. And nor like just to clarify, the events of Avum Secunda happened and they happened in a causal relationship, but the details of them are fuzzy. Um, they weren't fuzzy at the time, but when you look back at them, literally the evidence for these things has kind of shifted or adjusted depending on people's outlooks. Yeah. So anyways, um, Avum Tertius is a lot more anchored than that, right? Because there is more of the presence of the culminate thread, the whelming and all of that stuff. So it's not like subject to the same kind of flux, which is why, um, it's much more about the, mo- like the emotive power of the people living who are affecting stuff, right? You get like the, uh, you know, the, the champions being created or the demigods or whatever. The faith making it real acts very differently with the active things than the passive things, sort of of like the present versus history. Yeah, and I, I want to put in perspective a little bit of just about like how long a timescale we're talking here is um, with regard to it's a human history in Europe. The earliest European history was probably around 2000 BC, so about 4,000 years ago. Holy shit. Really? Yeah. I thought it was longer than that, but I believe you. I mean, I know Fertile Crescent dates back to... Well, that's not like, European. Do we think it's like 12,000? No, I know. I'm just saying like the Fertile Crescent, because humans obviously like the, you know, migrated north. Yeah, fuck. I didn't realize it was that short. Yeah, I mean, Avum Tertius alone is a period that lasts over, I think, 10,000 years. So when you're looking at Avum Secunda, like empires and stuff rise and fall and like they vanish because they don't have the infrastructure necessary, whether it be through documents or uh, like, like nothing has a longevity like that. Nothing. You know, we have, you know, like you've talked about this before, vanished periods of history that we've only recently discovered actually occurred or whatever, like the yeah. Bronze Age stuff in, in Greece, where it's like writing just kind of disappeared for a couple of generations. Yeah, I'm specifically referring to here the Minoan civilization, mm-hmm. which, right. which kind of uh, history kind of began for the Minoan civilization around 3500 BC, but it wasn't until about 2000 that they had an like, actual complex urban encampments and what we would call Mm -hmm. cities and Mm -hmm. then they started to decline about 500 years later but like Mm -hmm. for a good period of like 500 600 years they had like complex art language uh culture cultural products and um plumbing like they could build four stories high like really impressive shit and then that was just gone. That's pretty crazy. Four store. I mean, like, that's, yeah, I, I believe it. I, I think it's, 
Yeah, it's so anyways, it's I mean, it's interesting to me because I think like during Avum Secunda, uh, for practical purposes, if we were going to actually be let's say we were approaching Avum Secunda and we were doing like a whole season about it. It's not like the events that we talk about and the things that happen and the kingdoms that rise and fall didn't exist for those people at that time. It's that the evidence for those things is a sandcastle and the tide is high, right? Like it's just every time the tide comes back or the waves come back, less and less and less of it is going to remain. And even if without all of the like magically stuff that we, you know, throw into the pot, like if you had you know, writings from 60,000 years ago, they'd be dust. It doesn't even matter what they were written on. I mean, even digital information, like if it, you know, is digital information going to last 100 years, even if we're doing like active, uh, you know, care and stuff like that? Because like the question is, isn't like in a closed system, could you make it survive that long? Like theoretically, sure. Like, you know, as long as you're repairing the hardware or whatever, you're making some sort of long lasting you know, make it immune to, you know, put it in a Faraday cage or whatever. But like, no civilization is a closed system and information and knowledge does not remain like it's, you know, it's very permeable um, as like a as sort of a, a substance we like, it changes all the time. Every generation has a different perspective on the events of everything that's happened that they know about. You constantly get, you know, like, there's stuff outside of that Faraday cage that is going to affect it. You know, what if somebody turns the power off? What if there is a coup and like, you know, what if we change fundamentally, not just electricity, but the way that we do like technology? Maybe it's not, it doesn't run on electricity in the future. You know, there's, there's something else that makes more sense, like, you know, small reactions or whatever. And then it's just like not compatible or it just gets forgotten. It's so, because people's priorities shift, it's so easy for stuff to disappear. So it would be crazy to think that anything more than like myths and legends of of Avum Secunda uh, even make it onto paper, let alone survive very long into Avum Tertius. Especially because that's the least of most people's worries at that time. Like the elves are honestly, this is one of the things that I actually kind of have enjoyed is that the elves, their age is kind of, it is definitely a curse, but in some ways they, uh, or like that has been a curse. It res- has resulted in being a curse to other people. But in a lot of ways, they're kind of like the monks who like hold on to writings during, you know, the Middle Ages or the Dark Ages where there's, uh, I mean, they're the ones doing the Inquisition, so it's not the best example, but they're, they have, uh, you know, the vampires and their connection to immortality has an obsessive fixation on maintaining like the past and preserving the past. And so if it weren't for them, then there would be very little record of anything that happened in Avum Secunda, let alone the scant shit that ends up like uh, uh, present in Avum Tertius in years forward. And let's not forget so. that magic might, was also a place of role. Obviously, Avum Secunda magic was more rare. That's true. Yeah. And so. We yeah. I mean, and magic and, and it takes different forms. It's a, this more like raw, primal, chaotic force that's difficult to control. I mean, magic is basically absent aside from the ways that people work with it. But they, it's and it's not that when I say raw and chaotic, I'm not saying it's like only sorcerers. I'm just saying like you you don't have the nuance and the and the development, the advancements that are made over thousands of years to figure out how to interact with it well. Um, so you're just like making stuff up or you're like working on very rudimentary knowledge because it's not like you can just do an experiment like you do during Avum Tertius. So yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, magic can bring stuff back, even if like it's it was never known. Like 
Halume might just kind of unfold it to the public, right? Like it might just uncover something that was forgotten, but Halume hasn't forgotten. And I think that is key. Halume hasn't forgotten. This stuff has happened. The mortals might have forgotten, but occasionally stuff gets kicked back. Anyways, I don't know how we got talking to this, but I don't know. I feel warmed up. All right. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking, like, especially David Tertius, we probably have a lot more evidence, like so much more because of things like bags of holding. Because, like, when you think about a bag of holding, it's actually really good for preserving shit. Because, like, imagine you have a lot of books in a bag of holding. Mm-hmm. If it isn't opened for a really long time, it doesn't have oxygen in it. That's true. Or, like, water vapor. Like, that shit just, like, gets used up by whatever bacteria or whatever is doing the decomposing. or And then they'll stop, right? They'll die. Mm-hmm. And so then you just, yeah. like, open it up, you get, like, dust. And then... Yeah, I'm not trying to say that there's going to be no evidence of Avum Secunda whatsoever. Like, that's actually not Well, it. I think there's, there's significantly less than Avum Tertius, for sure. I'm just saying it's like, yeah, it's like if we, at our current state, or even, like, I think what I was trying to get at is imagine, like, the records we have of the Middle Ages. They do not have that for Avum Tertius. Um, or in Avum Tertius for Avum Secunda. Like, they don't have, they have the stories of, like, the Odyssey or like the most famous popular things, you know, they wouldn't have a Don Quixote. Um, although I guess that's a pretty famous and popular work. I'm imagining like the picture that I was more trying to paint is like documents where you recover something and it might be referring to something else. And you have, you just have to speculate based on what it's referring to, what the document itself even is like what it's talking about. Right. Like, okay, well, it's talking about this other city and like their grain intake or whatever. Why were they caring about grain intake? Because it doesn't look like an accountant's rendition of this. This almost looks like it's being written by, you know, a sage for a, a king or a queen or something like that. So what's going on here? Right. It's more about piecing things together. And because it's so spotty and because Avum Tertius, the beginning is so chaotic with like basically powerful warlords completely like. You know, there's no more Sanguine Empire, basically. It's almost it's all but gone because the entire thing got cored because of the oceans coming back. And now you have like basically like warlords going around based, you know, on cults of faith or like a like, yeah, like a, a following, like a cultic following who are not really thinking nearly as much about maintaining the past as they are just establishing a present for their people. Because everything for the last, like, three generations of, you know, relatively young, like, like, aged people has been about the destruction of what they had. And very little. I mean, they would cling to what they have more, for sure. But there's so much you can't take with you. Yeah. So. What I, what I wanted to mention just about, like, what you're talking about with, like, references. Mm-hmm. What was it? Oh, yes. Um, there's something called, you ever heard of the Epic Cycle? I've heard of it. I don't know what it is. Or I don't remember, maybe. So the epic cycle is uh, considered, like, the story of, like, the, all the events that surround the Trojan War. Okay. And of the ones that we have, um, we have references to a bunch of ones that we don't have. So, like, we have the Iliad hmm. and the Odyssey. And then there's the Ky- the Cypria, the Athiopis or Atiopis. You have the Ilu Persis, the Nostoi, 
the telegony, the Holy little shit, Iliad. Really? There's there's all this stuff that like I didn't know that, dude. I thought I I thought I knew that there were some lost works regarding that, but I didn't realize it was like this all of this shit that there were like tons of works that we don't have. Yeah, we have the biggest ones as far as we know, but it's hard for us to really tell, I think, about how big the other ones were because we just have yeah. either fragments or references to these books that we don't have. And that's exactly what I'm talking about is that was only like, you know, what, 1800 years ago or something? Or no, I guess it'd probably be more like 2500 years. Uh, Homer, it's a long time. Uh, it's that was Hellenism, right? So we're talking B.C., st- sturdily B.C. Um, the Iliad most likely was, quote unquote, written in 8th century B.C. Oh, wow. I mean, that's a lot earlier than I thought. But imagine, okay, now imagine, though, a situation where you get somebody who writes books about the Iliad and Odyssey and talks about the missing works. Now jump forward 3,000 more years. Loss of history of the thing does not mean loss of technology. Or it doesn't mean like that they didn't have technology at the time. I think with 60,000 years and the elves leading it, I could totally see a lot of pretty surprising advancements that doesn't necessarily make it like futuristic by any means. A civilization, plain and simple, that has a lot of, you know, capability of managing and exploiting land and like, you know, uh, 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 keeping away the unwelcome. I mean, they literally, like, during this time, they fucking rebuilt the fucking spires. So it's, like, not like they didn't have capability. It's that data is an inherently... It's got a clock. Like, things just don't last that long. Um, You know, like what you were saying with the Iliad and the Odyssey and stuff is, like, you know, if I were to write a book now about all the stuff that happened then, and then another, you know, two and a half or three thousand years were to go by... And somebody were to, you know, you know, somehow what I wrote had been recovered, like the likelihood that also the Iliad and Odyssey would have also stuck around is like significantly less, especially if you don't have like printing presses or whatever. All I was really trying to get at with all that was just saying, like, you can't really just map on a technological level and say, oh, they were at this technology level. So after this point, information is just permanent. That's not how information works. That's not how technology works. Um, That's also not how history works. So that's really all I was trying to say. Yeah, and um, I will say that the reason why we have things like the Iliad and the Odyssey and write um, almost everything, or actually everything, Plato's ever written uh, is because people thought they were important and copied them. So information right. can exactly. be maintained, again, if it's deemed mm-hmm. important and kept alive, kept up, copied down, renewed. Yep. yep. But that's not guaranteed. Yeah. And especially for unimportant yep. information, it's not going to happen. Right. And the thing is, is that oftentimes the stuff that is the deemed the least important is the most anthro- uh, important anthropologically. Like we know some about, you know, we know actually quite a few things about like the stories that remain from per- periods like that. But we know so much more looking at like the remnant of a ladle spoon. Like you can learn a lot of like the wood composition, the way that it was carved and how it was carved and like why was this thing buried with a person? Like, why did it matter that they had a late? I mean, that would be weird, but maybe it happens, you know? And it's like, okay, why so what role did, 
all the questions. Yeah, why did they die with a, you know, with a fractured ladle, ladle spoon in their ass? You know, like, tells you stuff about the people. Yeah, maybe, um, like many people today, they tripped on it. That's how you get, you get a ladle spoon up your butt. Yep, yeah. 